We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And since we last talked, a couple of entertaining games, Lakers split them. First against Dallas, and it's remarkable how many games the Lakers have had this year that have been kind of similar to each other, where come out a bit flat. Usually the end of the first quarter is not great, and then by halftime they're down by a decent amount. By the end of the third quarter, they're down by even more, and that was the case against Dallas. And then they stage a furious fourth quarter comeback that either comes close to getting the lead or does and gets the win, or as is the case in this Dallas game, they get there, they get the lead, they're up by five with like a little over a minute left, and then just a series of mistakes, they end up losing it. And speaking of like games that are similar to each other, the last three games against Dallas in L.A. have all been kind of similarly heartbreaking. Anyhow, it's interesting how those things can match up. And so that happens on Wednesday. And then on Saturday, Lakers get what was probably my favorite win of the season uh, in Cleveland. It's a shootout in the first half. It's 71-70 Cleveland going into halftime. And there hasn't been a game where we've hung in a shootout yet. And I thought that was really encouraging. Lakers get 34 assists in the game, a couple of games after having 35 assists and several players are making better passing reads. Jackson Hayes had some fantastic minutes that I would love to talk about. And Max Christie has his best game as a pro, uh, both on offense and defense draws the Donovan Mitchell assignment. Lakers have Philly tonight, but D couple of very entertaining games, always a roller coaster. Lakers get the split. What were your thoughts from the last couple of games? Yeah, first of all, welcome back to everyone, right? We got a nice little holiday vacation. We started in LA and now Mike is on the road. One of the themes from last season was that the Lakers were a very resilient team and they didn't often give up in games. Um, this year, they've been blown out a couple of times, like 
like beginning to end and they have not shown as much resiliency I think as last year's team but they have shown plenty of it still especially in the face of all of the injuries that the team has been taking like one thing you didn't mention since the last time we talked yeah. is that Rui's been like Rui's out for who knows how long like they it'd be reevaluated in in a week so he's got at least a few more days but against Against Dallas, apparently he got hit in the face. I, I, like, I didn't see it, but he suffered a nasal fracture. And so the Lakers have just been down a lot of bodies. And so that's another thing that made the Cleveland win really encouraging, Mike, is they walked in there with basically eight rotation players. Mike was on me all preseason and off of the pod about like a team is never all the way healthy. They're never going to have mm-hmm. all of their guys. And that has been totally true yep. this season. And so I am taking my L in that. But within the context that we're all losing to a certain extent with the Lakers being as unhealthy as they've been and unfortunate with the injury bug. But they went in there with eight viable rotation guys. And all of those guys played well within the context of some part mm-hmm. of their respective games. And they got a really good win against the Cavs. And, and it was similar against the Mavs. They just fought and fought and fought. And they didn't give up. And a couple of mistakes at the end. But but really good games. And, and so I'm encouraged, Mike, by how the team has been playing. I'm, I'm encouraged by their resolve. I'm encouraged by a lot of the defensive fortitude that they've been showing, particularly in second halves and and late in games. And so upward trend for the Lakers, even though in the face of a lot of guys being out, which has been too often a theme for this team. So where are you at? And it's good to see you and talk again after about a week off. I know, right? It's been a minute. Uh, it's. I would say that last night's, or I guess two nights ago now, the win at Cleveland felt a little bit more like late last season than some of the ones earlier this season had, just in the fact that LeBron struggled for once offensively, and he had been so efficient. I mean, LeBron was damn near 60% uh, from the field up to this point, and he couldn't get his shot to fall. He was one for nine from three, but Anthony Davis was dominating, and uh, to me, the key stretch was in the third quarter, and AD just getting everything to go. It, it's mm-hmm. I think you know Pete made some kind of comment in the text, right, but it was a there was a lefty little baseline hook in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. And then in the third, there was a face-up jumper. There was an off-the-dribble drive. There was a, a little baby hook. You know, there was a, a drawing a free throw, drawing a foul and get to the free throw line. Like when, when AD is that much in his bag on offense and then he's still doing what he does on defense, being the key reason that Cleveland only scored 44 points in the second half after a 71-point first-half performance, that to me is why they won the game. And the other thing that I wanted to point out, and, and like Austin, I felt like was getting back to some of the being a pest defensively and mm-hmm. you know taking a charge here and waiting for a guy to come into his uh, to, to you know, come into his space and not exiting out and like really, really taking the contact. And he just was hanging in a little more. And then as Darius pointed out in his Lakers.com three things today. Uh, rebound in the basketball defensively. Guess who got the two key defensive rebounds um, down the stretch after Max Christie helped force the miss on Mitchell. So those kind of things were what was happening when the Lakers went on that run last year where like LeBron and AD were doing their thing. And and in this case, it was AD a little bit more than LeBron. And then other guys were making winning plays uh, around that. And that that is a formula that even if the offensive flow isn't always perfect, Pete, or they're still, you know, figuring out exactly what they're doing, that level of competition on top of that star talent at the top uh, just wins you games in the regular season, even in tough environs uh, like Cleveland is. I think there are also some bigger structural things that are coming into place. Uh, so, for example, Torian Prince, 
I th- thought had a really good pair of games and this is reflected in his plus minus and he's been playing a lot more at the two and his game is really built around speed and we'll talk more about this later, but he's like a tall guy to be as fast as he is he's got this sweet little like euro that he uses to get to the basket in that Cleveland game part of the third quarter uh, and part of why we were good at, at the end of the third quarter um, which has been a spot where we just haven't been able to score with those units they started going to wide pin downs between AD and Torian and Torian was curling those and he can get to the basket he can dump it off to AD on that AD was also popping sometimes and not rolling every single time even if he was popping to get the ball and then drive out of that it was just that's part of what i'm talking about d is is like the going to the right places making the right read within the five out shift one thing that we haven't talked about much is it's sort of like when you play a video game and you can't pass a certain level and then you finally do the next time you play it, like you're more likely to beat that level again because you kind of know how to do it. The Lakers, I think there's been an element of that of like, okay, what is this new structure I need to figure out with the five out offense and all of that? And Austin's like 10 assist night, I think was indicative of that, as is the high assist totals in two of those those three recent games. And so I think there are some structural things coming into play. Also, Hayes uh, being part of that unit as well. I really want to talk about him later that kind of make the ingredients of what Mike is talking about in that like it's guys making winning plays around LeBron and AD. I think that guys are more familiar with what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to go, and that's showing up in those winning plays. Yeah, I think the idea of AD popping is super important here just because some of that's just going to be dictated by what the defense is doing. And in fact, a lot of it should be, but some of it is just going to be like AD deciding, right? I'll give a couple of examples of of like how that works within the spectrum. But Cleveland's really started to ice ball screens because the Lakers have really gone to empty to empty sets on ball screens like from from the wings. And so the way that that's been working really well for them is that when teams do not ice the ball screen and it's an empty side pick and roll, they're letting Austin or LeBron or D'Lo get to the middle of the court. Mm-hmm. And then it's a rolling big against who has basically no help. And yeah, it helps on the other really, side. It's it's hard to, to do that. Yeah. So it's really getting AD an opportunity to like dive deep into the post. And then even if the ball doesn't get all of the way to, to the rim, he's getting deep position where they can Mm -hmm. then relocate, pass it back out and then get post-ups. They're like doing a lot of nifty things out of this. So teams are just like, well, look, man, we can't let these guys keep getting middle and let AD get a free roll to, to the basket. So they've been icing ball screens, but earlier during the season, when they, when teams would ice ball screens, the Lakers bigs were like still diving and guards were still driving, trying to force, force the action. And they ended up just playing in, in a crowd way too much. And against mm-hmm. Cleveland, especially AD was just popping on almost all of those, those ball screens. And he was either taking the jumper or when he was making the catch, Cleveland would start to shrink the floor against him. And then he was throwing the skip over the top. And so there was a lot of like, Oh, this is the way against what the defense is doing against us that I thought was it really stood out to me in the Cavs game more than any other game to that point it had been happening more and more but not to the level it did against the Cavs and so let's go to break here and when we come back Mike I want to hear some of your thoughts about how all of this is coming together 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's heartening to hear from you guys that what we're seeing is structural in some ways and not just, you know, the way that I put it in in terms of guys playing well around your two best players and uh, that because that has the chance to potentially sustain uh, a little bit more uh, right as you move forward. I think that usually when you miss at least the same type of player and a lot of that type of player in Vanderbilt uh, and Hachimura and Reddish, that that's tough because uh, it's going to put guys like Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes are going to have at least one of them is going to have to play at least a little bit out of position uh, in a certain rotation. Mm-hmm. And it means that Max Christie is your only on ball guy, your only uh, point of attack guy and coming up against a matchup with Tyrese Maxey, who's, I don't know, top three quickest guys in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe number one or number two right He's now. Great. That's, that's a big ask. And, you know, it's just like a, usually these things, Pete, when, when they happen all at once, um, it, it's really hard for a team not to feel that. And as the, at the time of recording, we don't know yet if anybody, well, the only one that could possibly play is Reddish, and I'm not sure that he will. Uh, I, I think that he was listed as questionable last game as well, and since he's had some stuff with his groin in the past, I think that they're really trying to err on the side of caution you know, with it. So not to just circle in on this Philly matchup, but the margin for error really dwindles in these kind of situations, and you have to execute really well. And uh, you know, Philly, to me, has actually not been playing as well as, as people might think. Um, they did have a nice win in Oklahoma City, but before that, a pair of losses, even if one was because Embiid set out of back-to-back. And then they had they had lost two out of their previous four as well um, against Boston and against Atlanta. So they're like, I think they're good, but they're also, they're vulnerable, uh, I think, in a way. And I this is a team where I think the Lakers fastball is better um, than the, the Sixers fastball, at least by a little. But 
the Lakers are missing more guys than the Sixers are, and it's in Philly. Um, so uh, there, there's a the potpourri of stuff there, Pete. I wanted to make a, a couple of video game references that you, when you reference, like once you get past <laughs> it, because I, I can think of about 75 examples. There's one in Super Mario 3 with the coin palace where uh-huh. it's like, oh, you found the hidden door. Well, yeah. the hidden door. And, and when you, you get there, it's like, ah, let's time. go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but alas, I'll, I'll save those for uh, for the chat. Well, no, I think that's appropriate to where the Lakers are at. And part of my excitement, it's it's really on the offensive end. Well, there are two things. I've been talking a lot in our text thread about our defensive fastball of just like when everybody turns it up. And again, this is without the and this plays to exactly what Darius was saying that you say, Mike, about like your team's never healthy. So there is no guarantee like, oh, wait till we get all of our point of attack guys back. Like we might not, you know, but being able to see the team when they really turn it up. Uh, turn teams over. It's not just that we're playing good defense. It's that it's exactly the style that I was hoping us for us to play with kind of these big oppressive athletes. I think Max, like Max is an interesting defender in that he guards down better than he guards guys his size. Like guys his size kind of have the strength and trips, tricks of the trade. And Max is strong, of course, but really what's special about him, we, we tweeted out that uh, clip against Mitchell and he had a few really good possessions against Mitchell. Mitchell's not a guy that can body Max. He's not big enough to do that. But Max is good enough at moving his feet for his size to where it's harder for a smaller speed guard to be able to create separation. And that's exactly why like, oh, let's see how it works against Tyrese Maxey. Now, it, it might be completely different, right? But it is exciting within the context of like, you can have big oppressive defenders at every position where it's Max, you know, guarding down at ones, Reddish guarding down at twos and, and all of that. So I'm super excited about the like, I think this team could have just a nasty fastball on defense. But seeing the offense starting to come together, and I sent you guys a screenshot of a play, and this is where I'll get into Hayes. Um, I sent you guys a screenshot of a play where it was, we had both AD and Hayes in the lineup at the same time. And Cleveland had subbed Mobley out, and so it was Jared Allen and Georges Nier. And so we what we tried to do was pull Allen out to the perimeter as teams try to do against us with AD and we ended up running an inverted ball screen and AD kind of fumbled it on the drive and so we kicked it back out but Cleveland had switched it and so now Max Struess is guarding AD in the post and AD kicks it back out to Austin and is calling for the ball like give me this post up so Max Struess knows I'm in trouble. I got AD. Uh, I'm trying to guard AD in the post. He fights around it and he fronts it. This is something that we see a lot. And so this puts pressure on the MIG, the most important guy that we were talking about last week, the baseline help. And that's Niang. And so the obvious guy to help off of in a five-out setup is Jackson Hayes, right? He's the guy in the corner. But this is why I think Hayes really elevates the offense of the AD-only units. And this is what I want to hear your thoughts on, D, is – Hayes is so explosive as an athlete and as a leaper that even if he's in the corner and he'll even like start to sneak in. But if Struess is fronting AD, that means Niang is the help as the low man, right? And so the threat of AD, that pass over the top, you have to get there. But the problem is, is if he helps too much onto AD, he's going to give up that lob and Hayes is hunting that every single time. And that's like a step. He's so explosive. You can, throw that, you can throw that ball in a window of about 15 feet. Exactly. Yeah, for him to get to it too. Yeah. 
Exactly. And so that is vertical spacing. We talked about this a lot during the title season. And this was a thing that Vogel was really big on is that idea of if you've got a guy that you can really throw it up to and he can catch just about anything and finish really well around the rim, even if he's not a three point shooter, it provides a degree of functional spacing that is really helpful in ways that don't require AD to be the explosive athlete above the rim 24 seven. And so I loved the AD. Hayes lineup. And it was something that we switched to in the second half of the Cleveland game, in part because we gave up 30 points in five minutes and 21 seconds <laughs> at the end of the first quarter and with the lineup that played before. And so anyway, your thoughts, D, I love that AD Hayes combo. I bet AD does too. <laughs> it's just like, look, like he's been asking to play with a center. And I don't think like lineup data captures this within like positional classification that when AD plays with Wood, that they're saying that AD is a forward, right? Like they're still clocking that as AD is the center, which makes sense because it's usually it true is too. that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But when he plays with Hayes, AD is going to be the forward. Mm -hmm. And there was actually a possession where I hate to highlight a bad possession, but it was one where it's just like, ooh, I haven't seen this in a while. And AD sort of misread it. AD was in that same help position that you were just talking about Nyang was in. Mm -hmm. So he's weak side and he's the guy who has to guard his man in the corner, but also help mm -hmm. should the ball come middle or if the ball goes into the paint. And so Cleveland throws a skip pass cross court and AD sees it, he goes to elevate and he literally like misses it by like a fingertip. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Nyang, but I'm not sure. And he hit a corner three over the top and you could see AD sort of like clap his hands together and just be like, shake his head a little bit. Like I had it, mm -hmm. I had it and I just missed it. But honestly, mm -hmm. when was the last time it's maybe been 20 months since he's got to play the to, like, to be in those one-on-two situations. He's got to be at that four and that he's so devastating on those. That's what I mean. He can take two things away. There are a lot of situations in basketball where the strong side, the way you, you overload the, the side of the court, the, the ball is on if you're on defense in a way where one guy's got to defend two guys on the other side of the court. And the thought is that if he can, he just needs to buy time to be able to recover for that second guy to come back to even it out. But when it's Anthony Davis, he can get to those and even that fingertip, yes. like he's gotten to that exact pass so many times, but he has to play the four. He has to, to not be engaged in the ball screens that he's brought this up to Mike that like, hey, I'm not going to be engaged in 100 ball screens. Part of it is because it's fun to be able to play that one on one by two devastating perimeter defender role. But as Darius is saying, I think he can only really do that next to Hayes. We were in Akron yesterday and touring LeBron's. There's a, a new kind of community center slash museum uh, right next to the I Promise School. And we were going through it. And I, I was happy. I happened to be walking next to AD through a lot of like the LeBron, uh, the museum part where it's, it's showing all of his different um, accomplishments from all these different levels. And, you know, I, one of the things I asked AD was like, Hey, you know, do you have all of your stuff like this from high school? And he was like, yeah, my parents have it all, but he's like, there's not that much of it. And it, you know, it reminded me he didn't grow until his junior year. So he was just like a normal dude. Uh, his, and I was like, well, yeah, but you were still pretty nice, right? As a guard. And he was like, 
I was fine. It's like, I wasn't ranked in anything. Um, and then all of a sudden when he had his growth spurt, it was an immediate, like, it was like, Whoa, you know, coaches around the country are freaking out of course, for understandable reasons. And, and his dad was the one that was like, AD wasn't even really dealing with it. They were all going to his dad. He was the, the gatekeeper and he, he ended up uh, taking three visits. One of them was to Kentucky. Uh, and one was to Ohio state. And the other one I think was to DePaul. Uh, and, we know we know the past from that, but I just as LeBron was coming around the corner and was was going to introduce something else, and I was just starting to get into more of the conversation with AD about like, hey, when did you like when you got to Kentucky? Did you know that you were going to crush everybody right away in defense, or did it <laughs> like did you have to? You know what I mean? Like, did you yeah. have to see it with the pl- best players in the country? And he yeah. he did. You know, he played McDonald's All American game and stuff like that. But it was just like. It, it it happened so quickly, but it also if you when you watch him play defense, it doesn't look like it happened quickly. It like it looks like he's had these defensive instincts for his whole life, um, in the way that he's able to guard too and his timing on the ball and his timing on the defensive glass and all of these things that just uh don't to me always track with the fact that he uh that he had this crazy burst of height. But mm-hmm. um I just wanted to single that part out because it's watching him play defense and still we're still in that part we were in the summer where got the, the rest of the league isn't really understanding how good his defense is. And I'm hearing like Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year chatter. And Darius sent a clip about Paul Reed calling AD a flopper. Or did you send that Pete? Pete sent that. Yeah, I said um, that. So I'm, I'm like right back into, hold on everybody. Are you guys watching this guy play defense right now? So I, I had to get that out. Quick point is AD's dad, one of my favorite dudes, and he would be that even if AD never made his way to to the Lakers, just because AD's dad was just like, no, my son ain't ever playing for the Boston yeah. Celtics. That, he's never, never going to play for the Celtics. So I was, just like, hey. I was hanging with AD's dad in the playoffs last year at Memphis uh, in the hotel lobby one time. Super chill, super nice. Um, looks like AD. Yeah, lo- love AD. Oh, perfect. So, and then the other part about the defensive instinct stuff, Mike, like the Lakers first basket of the game came on a LeBron and one that, that came in transition, Mm -hmm. but that play started because Cleveland tried to run a four or five pick and roll between Mobley and Allen. And AD basically went and he does this so expertly. And I, it's a play that I highlighted in the Lakers insider piece that went up in November, but he takes away pocket pass with like getting low and digging in, in his stance. And then he baits you to try to throw this pass over the top and he just mirrors you. And he gets like, to that too. Yep. And he gets to that too. And it's just like the, the, the planes. And I, and I mean this in terms of like planes of existence, like planes of like where your hands can go. It's just like he goes from the literally from the ground all the way up to above the square. And there's just few players in the league who have that sort of anticipatory brilliance mm-hmm. as a defender that Anthony Davis has. And he's doing it as like a seven foot player. So let's go to break here, Pete. And when we come back, I want to hear more of your thoughts on this. Let's talk some Anthony Davis. He went from a 10-point game against Dallas, in which he did not score in the second half, not the first time that's happened this season, to a season-high 32 points. I think some of this is uh, on a practical level, right? It's that Dallas switched a lot more um, and that we have difficulties beating switches in ways that Cleveland cannot switch to the same degree because they have the taller, lankier bigs. Mobley can do it, but I think it's a harder thing to ask for Allen. And then they also have small guards, and so that can be tough. 
Weren't they also just because they have Allen and Mobley, they were like, they weren't doubling in the same way, whereas Dallas was just sending the house all the time? 100%. Yes. And so the, the offensive stuff, especially in the post, which is something that Darius, Darius has really been championing, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but also, I want to project toward tonight's game, right? Because the defensive range that Darius is talking about from the floor to the top of the square and also the distance in terms of foot speed like ad can cover distance from right under the basket to out to the three-point line and and beyond that gets neutralized when he plays the five against a bruising five right so against Jokic, against Embiid, against sabonis there is no if he's guarding them, there's no distance to cover. You're playing that guy in a phone booth. In a phone booth, he's going to hit you with his shoulder, with his elbows. There is no deception in terms of like AD's got to run over here and run over there and all of that. And so that to me, the having an answer for that tonight's game, Mike, is a great. It's a great test of like how do we approach defense when a lot of the offense isn't initiated by a guard. It's not ball screen, pick and roll type stuff. I feel really good about our defense in those type of situations in large part because Anthony Davis is the best in basketball at that. And if we can open him up to more minutes at the four, that gives you a whole new dimension of kind of being oppressive. But how do we guard teams that play through the five and play through a five that really want to go at him? That's one of the things I'm really excited about seeing tonight. It's also a thing that they I don't know that they do have the best answer for. And I agree. we can try to cobble we can try to cobble one together, but it's not going to come in the starting lineup uh, at this point. You're not going to start LeBron on Embiid uh, in quarter 1. And what is Embiid going to do, Darius? He's going to do the same thing he does anytime there's a good there's a good player on the other end, specifically like a good offensive player that plays defensive as a center. And he's going to try to, he's going to try to launch his body straight into AD and he's going to flail his limbs and he's going to try to get his first foul in the first minute. I guarantee it. Uh, it's well, now I'm hedging against my own guarantee. Usually this is what he does. He, I just saw him do it against miles Turner when they played Indiana and it worked. Uh, and, and so what then do the Lakers do? I, I, I put this question to you. So here's the thing is, AD, so Embiid has had some big games against AD. In those games, AD has also had big games against Embiid. This is one of those matchups where I actually feel perfectly comfortable leave, leaving AD on, on an island against Embiid. And Pete, I don't think you were saying otherwise. I think that what you're talking about as well is, is that AD's attention needs to be so focused on what Embiid is doing that he can't be as rangy and do all of the other stuff. Yes. Yes. Right. And so I'm not saying AD is going to like lock down Embiid. Embiid leads leads the league in scoring and mostly. But he did. But remember he swatted, remember he swatted him uh, like, was that two years ago or last year? That was two two years ago. Two seasons uh ago. Yeah. 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 Like a couple different possessions. And so he, and he, like he definitely got up for the the last two games that Philly has played against the Lakers, or at least where AD and Embiid have both played against each other, AD has had really good offensive games. I think he scored over 30 points in both games. The Lakers have just lost 
both both of those games. One was a one point game. I think that was the game where AD missed free throws at the end, and he was oh, and we had the crazy distraught. comeback. God, we're the he was just team, man. at the end of that. And yes. then, that was a wild game last year. Austin so I think, missed one, missed one or two also, but they but they had no business winning that game because they were down nine with like a minute left. Yeah, and then they somehow came back, and but then still, yeah, it, it was. It, and then the next game after that, they um where both players played. Um, it went to overtime and the final score did not reflect the fact that it was an OT game. Philly mm-hmm. pretty much handled them in that second frame. But Pete, like I feel good about AD and his ability to like not fall for the junk that other guys mm-hmm. fall for. Like AD's hands are so good and he's got such exquisite timing and and. This is where Embiid is like a super smart offensive player because when you're a dummy trying to guard him, he will straight, yeah, he will prey on your dumbness. And then back <laughs> in the day, he would go on social media and call you dumb. He would be like, oh, look at this dummy, like trying to do some dumb stuff. And he just dumbed his way into. You're not wrong at all. But I also I do not want to praise the foul hunting too much because no, I me neither. Uh, me and, neither. And he's he might be doing it in a calculated slash smart way, but it's also kind of a cheap trick in a lot of ways. And it doesn't work in the postseason, which is part of where Embiid ends up struggling when he's trying to go to all that stuff instead of just playing basketball. So I just wanted to diss him a little bit for all that nonsense. And you're right. <laughs> AD doesn't fall for it. But sometimes the refs do, Darius. Well, one thing I will say too, Pete. And to speak to Mike's point as well is is that Embiid is an overwhelming physical force, but he does not play like Shaq, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Great point. like, and this is where Jokic is like the European dude who, like, oh, the passer and this guy who's at the top of the floor. Jokic is much more of a like, I'm just gonna put my shoulder into your chest and I'm just gonna back you mm-hmm. down, back you down, back back you down That's until I get to four feet away from the basket and make a hook shot. That looks like the easiest shot shot in the world, like the most unbothered post up ever. Embiid is much more of a turn and face player. Great he point. is much more of a like get into your body off of the dribble and then use his wide frame and big shoulders to sort of spin off of you, create space to shoot the fade the way. And then when he gets you off balance, then go through your chest in order to try to finish over the top of you. AD he can manage that sort of yeah. alignment much better than the Jokic style, which is basically like into your chest, into your chest, into mm-hmm. your chest the, the entire time. And so this is one of the reasons, Pete, why I am super interested to see how this matchup plays out, because I don't think M- I don't think Embiid feels the same challenge to. Or I should say, I don't think AD feels the same challenge against MB that he might feel against other players. It doesn't mean MB is that he's going to neutralize him or anything like that. He's just too good of an offensive player, Mike. Yeah, and these are the reasons that I think Jokic is better than Embiid in a lot of ways, where if AD is going into a matchup against Denver versus Philly and it's it's against Denver, it's like, oh man, you know, Jokic is going to just repeatedly bash himself into my body until he gets right next to the rim. And then he's going to do it again the next possession. And then if he doesn't, if he's on the perimeter, I'm going to go out there and once, and then he's going to make the perfect pass. And I'm not going to be able to get back to the back line uh, because you know, somebody would have cut. And it's just there's no good way to really guard him in that sense. And B, though, will play into your hands sometimes if you don't go for all of the contact stuff and the, the swing throughs and the, the flails. 
he's perfectly comfortable just stepping back and taking a 17 footer. Um, and he likes to do that. He likes to be on the floor. He likes to dribble. He likes to pull up. He likes to play like a guard. And Pete, you alluded to this earlier, but AD is in total comfort when he is mm-hmm. out on the floor, when he can move his feet. And cause he knows he can move his feet with anybody. He can slide. He can. So he's totally cool with that. Um, because Embiid does not have the same threat as a passer, um, as Jokic. And I mean, who does really? I, I guess LeBron. So. That to me is all plays into 80s hands. And it, it had me thinking of when I play against the boys in the backyard and they would be thrilled, especially as they learn more about basketball. If I would just take jump shots, yeah. they're like, Oh, okay. And this is part, this is part of our discussion about do you take what the defense gives you or not? And it's like, well, they're going to give me that jump shot all the time. And maybe it helps the spacing on the floor, but like what they really don't want. And in this case, what AD doesn't want is Embiid to just be on his body under the rim the whole game, uh, which is what he should do. Um, I think, but he won't because that's not really how he plays. I, I think that's spot on. And I think that when you have the type of size advantage that you have over your kids at this point, that's exactly the right way to attack, right? Uh, but Anthony Davis doesn't have that advantage offensively over everyone, right? And so that's part of on the offensive end. I'm super intrigued to see how he attacks there, right? So that popping that we were talking about earlier, D, I think is going to be really important in tonight's game, even if it's not to take the jumper, but to reset and drive. He had one of those classic like drive one way, spin and drift and like make it look super easy yep. while drifting left like it's such a hard shot that he makes look easy that I think that the popping and resetting and that's part of what I was excited about over these last couple of games is uh, is that like drive okay I don't have a shot rather than taking the shot as they were early on like I could make this nope move it to the next guy keep attacking Darvin talked about this a lot in the um in one of the post games and so I think that's going to be a key on offense so what do you see tonight in terms of that ADMB matchup on the offensive end well, I think a lot of this is going to depend on what Nick Nurse decides. And I wrote mm-hmm. about this some um, in in a the preview that's that's up at Lakers.com is Nick Nurse has traditionally treated Anthony Davis the way that Jason Kidd just treated him in the Mavs game. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the things that frustrates me as well around like the context within we talk about AD is that there are some games where he is not aggressive. There are some games where he doesn't take as many shots. There are some games where it's just like, oh, well, like we need more from you based off of the context of the actual game. And then there are games that happen like the one against the Mavs where the Mavs were just like, absolutely not. You're absolutely not going to be the guy that beats us. We're going to send double teams. We're going to swarm. We're going to shrink the floor against you. And Darvin has mentioned this as well, that AD is going to make the right basketball play. And it's what we ask of him to make the right basketball play. And to Pete's point, making the right basketball play at times against that sort of defense is to not get closer to where all the congestion is, but to stay further away and then take the jump shot that's being made available to you because your aggression within this this style of defense that you're facing is going to mean you popping a little bit more and mm-hmm. taking the jumper a little bit more because that's how you're going to get up to the 15, 16, 18 shot attempts a game that we want from you. You're not going to get that if you just live in the post the the entire time. And so some of this is going to be dictated by Nick Nurse, Mike. And just to finish my rant from early, earlier about AD and the perception. So after the Dallas game, predictably, some of the questions both to AD and to Darvin Ham were like, you know, well, like, what about why is AD not taking more shots? And AD, why aren't you, why aren't you being more aggressive? And it's like they they trapped him. 
They doubled him the whole game. Like now, that doesn't mean that you can't have get a little bit more for him, and maybe the coach can do something, and maybe a point guard can. But it's just like that that narrative that it, it's almost like AD. What's wrong with you? Why are you do not have this gene? Why are you not being aggressive? That that whole thing, even when the other coach is specifically trying to take it away. So I might blow a gasket if tonight, if if the if the Sixers are completely just trapping him in his face and Nick Nurse aggressive schemes, and he takes thirteen shots. You know, instead of 20 and then after the game, it's like, 80, why did you only have 22 points? That's fair. I, I want to push back on the doubling a little bit in that, like, one of the things that Dallas did, especially with their second unit, is they switch a lot. And those groups, like, that's somebody, that's a guard trying to box out Anthony Davis, right? Like, when AD's at his best, a lot of the terror around the rim is that he does physically overwhelm a smaller player in which when you're switching and when you're playing certain styles of defense and, you know, it doesn't start with the ball in AD's hands. Like, yes, he's not going to go for 32 the way he did against Cleveland because Cleveland's single covering him in the post. If Nurse swarms him, that's going to happen. But there are other opportunities and he's... There, he's got such a multiplicity of ways of scoring that like, yes, they doubled him, but like a scoreless half shouldn't happen with an Anthony Davis. That also is fair, right? So I think it's it's somewhere in between where like kind of the effect of, that I'm trying to make sure. with the rant is versus reality. But even that, even the pushback to that, Pete, and, and, and as I this time, I'll actually muzzle myself on Anthony Davis defense. He's also just doing more on the other end than most people are. And, I'm totally, and, and, totally I, and I asked that to LeBron after the, and so that's the part where I'm like, well, yeah, but I think on certain nights, especially when he has the taller, the taller ask on defense, which is all the time, then it takes a lot of energy mm-hmm. to also be the one constantly trying to do all of the things that we were just discussing for him on the offensive side. So it's just, it seems like there's a very narrow window for him to, for everybody to be really happy with his game. And it's, he has to, cause he's always going to dominate defensively. So that's just expected. That that can't be he quite just happening. Get much credit for it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so he's not getting credit for that. But then, if he if he doesn't if he doesn't do all of the things that he can do, and you're certainly right, he he can do all those things. Then it comes into question again on the other end. Uh, but your your point's valid. Like, I, I guess there's some middle ground there um, bet- between just a, a scoreless half for whatever reason. That it- I will say that this is the time time of the year where I typically expect AD to get going, and he's traditionally done done that. Like. Um, and we'll see if he has a big game tonight, but I sort of expect him to like AD gets up for games too. like, Oh, this guy gets up to play. So-and-so like I used to remember how like, um, Andrew Wiggins would get up to play LeBron James. Or I remember when Brandon Ingram first came into the league and he was getting compared to Kevin Durant, Mm -hmm. like he would get up to play KD. I know that when LeBron and KD face off that they get up for for each other. I know Luka always has a little bit something extra for for the Lakers, for for example. He just seems to have it that night when when he plays against the Lakers. I've I've seen Anthony Davis look at Joel Embiid and I'm not... I'm putting myself in in AD's head, but like I think it's understandable that a player like Jokic has surpassed Anthony Davis within the context of like his his stature in the league, right? He's now won the championship. He won back-to-back MVPs. I get even to a certain extent that Giannis in a very similar way has surpassed Anthony Davis within the stature like like of the league, the MVPs, finals MVP, this, this, that, and the other. I think AD looks at Joel Embiid and mm. is kind of like, like, 
no, bro, like you and me, like we're the same or I'm better. I'm better than you. And I've seen him attack and play in that way. And so I sort of expect AD to have a big game tonight unless Nurse decides absolutely not. And Nurse has done that before when he coached the Raptors. And maybe this had more to do with Toronto's personnel. He was just like, no, bro, like, I'm sorry. We're swarming you on the catch. We're trying to force turnovers. We're not letting you get up the shot attempts. And so that is the one variable that that I'm looking at tonight. But if Embiid is sort of just like, you're my matchup, like, hey, coach, let me guard my position. I expect those dudes to have a duel. I just do. And I hope that AD comes out on top tonight because he's, I feel it coming for him. What about Paul Reed? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Do you have any comments on that? No, nah, no comments on Paul Reed, man. That's, come on now. The last thing I'll say before we end here, Pete, is I do think that um, you spoke about this earlier, but Max Christie's defense tonight, I think, is going to be su- like super important. I don't think we've given enough um, time to Tyrese Maxey. We're not going to give him that time now at the end of the pod, but Maxey's been excellent this year, and he's been a key driver of the success that Philly has had this season. But I love Max against smaller guards. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent you guys a text message the other night saying that he sort of reminds me of Clay Thompson in this way, that he is like a boxer who understands how to use his length mm-hmm. against a smaller fighter. And Max is great at that. Yep. The possession that you highlighted um, through Laker social on the possession against Mitchell, he expertly kept the amount of space between him and the way that he plays with high hands. It gives those guys a look like mm-hmm. the contest is already there. And he bothers he smaller guys. He's done it to Malik Monk and he's done it to other smaller players this season. And so I'm very interested to see how he plays against Maxi. Yeah, tonight. great test going from Kyrie to Donovan Mitchell to Tyrese Maxi, three straight games for Max. I think uh, Tobias Harris is a guy that we're going to have a tough time matching up with, but should be a fun one tonight. We will be back tomorrow to discuss it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James. 
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.